0: Hey Barbie, welcome to the show.
1: Yeah, man. Um, Excited to, to be doing this with you. Yeah,
0: I um before we started recording, I was going into a story that I'm trying to, with this podcast, talk about these like critical moments in people's lives that may be able to encourage other people and inspire other people. And then selfishly, there's a lot of questions that I have that you know I've always thought that I wanted to ask somebody and you know we see each other at events and we talk on the mm. phone occasionally but it doesn't always come up where I'm able to like you know kind of go into like nerding out about public domain or ban this mm. or mm-hmm. you know kind of some of those videos that you know I was I grew up in Alabama so for me watching those videos was like it was a real trip and to be able to be sitting down with you like sometimes I bug out on that and um, I'm just thankful, but also I'm
1: really excited to kind of talk about some of those, <laughs> yeah,
0: some of those special times. Yeah.
1: Wow. Yeah. And I always thought it was neat that you came from Alabama because that's my mom's from Alabama. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, Mobile. Dad's from Arkansas. Mom's from. Oh, wow. Alabama. Both from the south. Yeah. Yeah. And cool. so. Have you been to Alabama? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, early on. Yeah. Early on, you know. Um, it's been a long time, but, um. But, yeah, anyways, I always thought it was cool that you're from there.
0: Well, right on. Um, I had, I'd had. i like to kind of start with, like, your introductory to skateboarding mm-hmm. and kind of, like, how you found skateboarding. Mm-hmm. And then from there, kind of how you started getting sponsored and, a, you know, your take on that.
1: And yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I always say, you know, I, I got into skateboarding at an interesting time in skateboarding because... You know, I got into skateboarding early 80s. I wanna say about 84-ish, around there. And so I first got into skateboarding through a mutual friend who got a skateboard for his birthday, basically. And we'd always ridden bikes together after school on the weekends. And uh, I'll never forget him inviting me to his house because he's like, oh, I'm having a birthday party. Come over and get over there. And he's getting all his gifts. And then his dad sets down his the skateboard, and do you remember what board it was? Yeah, it was a Veriflex Vectra, and it was just super graphic. Yeah, I mean it's just it was really dynamic. It had a lot of lines shooting yeah, out yeah. and stuff, and the colors, and um, and for me it was like I had seen skateboards before, <laughs> but they're always in the version of of what we would uh. What we would know today as like the banana, uh, the you know pennies. Yeah, yeah. You know, board. We back then we call them banana boards. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we'll stick with that. We'll yeah, call it banana board. Um, and so <clears throat> those things sucked. Mm-hmm. I mean, those things were like if a friend had that, and I try to hop on it, it was always sluggish and slow. It would. It was plastic. It was like a toy. Yeah, plastic. Yeah. So you're flexing on it. Yeah. You know, and so. That was the definition of skateboarding for me up until seeing my friend Danny getting this skateboard Mm -hmm. for his birthday And then that skateboard I was just like whoa I remember just thinking like dude that thing is like the coolest thing I've ever seen I think Mm -hmm. and And so now he's on that skateboard. I'm on my bike and I'm just like dude. How can I get one of those because now the sense of wonder is just next level yeah. because I'm like, you know. What can you do? I that? don't know anything about this yeah. other than it's just like this thing looks so cool. But like it's just such a whole nother world. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and so anyways, I remember just telling him like, man, I want to get a skateboard. And he's all, dude, my dad used to skateboard. I guess his dad skateboarded in the 70s skating those parks, you know. Mm-hmm. And um And he's like, my dad has a board in the garage, you know, let me see um, if it's still there. And um, sure enough, he found it and it was a Sims wood kick. And so it wasn't quite the boards of the time. It wasn't like the Veriflex Vectra that he had, but it wasn't the banana boards, yeah. right? It was somewhere in between, Mm -hmm. but it was wood and not plastic. So I'm like, okay, cool. I think it had I think he had um, ACS trucks they're called just these small small guys and it's it's a wood kick because it's got a it's got a wood block yeah that's giving you the the feel of what we know now that's with the with the mold of the kicks coming up yeah you know and so uh, I cruised around with that for about a week or two um, no grip tape so it was a bummer if I stepped in water you know yeah and but I'm following my buddy Danny we're just cruising around just being like whoa this is fun you know and then I think that was like that was in the summer between sixth and seventh grade so then you know the new school year for seventh grade starts we go to school and you know we see this crew of guys that look like skateboarders because back then it wasn't hard to know who was a skateboarder or not yeah. and we just kind of would go over to them and, and you know I, I can't remember how it went down but but the gist of it was you know what did you guys do over the summer and we're like we skate and they're like we skate too. come hang out with us yeah. and the, like that group of dudes right there those dudes introduced me to the culture and this new world of skateboarding. And the first thing that they did was say, dude, we gotta get you a board. We know Johnny up the street who his parents has bought him a new board. Let's see if he's got his old one that he'll sell to you. And I remember like after school we go over there, I like got five dollars from mowing lawns or something, went over there and sure enough the dude had his old board because he had his new one. And sold it to me for five dollars. And it was a Santa Cruz Jammer, it was called. I remember that board. And yeah, it was black, jammer in uh-huh. white, and then it had like barbed wired fence yeah. layered over it. Yeah. You know? And uh dude, that that was my jam. That was my board. And I had but I didn't have trucks, right? So I had those little ACS trucks. <laughs> That were so much smaller than the board. Did the bolt
0: configuration even fit?
1: The bolt fit. The that whole deal worked, but the wheels were so far in uh-huh. because the board was way wider than yeah. that Sims wood kick. Yeah, you the know, wood kick was
0: like six inches. Or yeah, whatever. whatever. Yeah. Right, and, and the then so I'm going out like, to ten. Yeah.
1: You know, and so the wheels were in. You know what I mean? I've yeah. got what three inches, <laughs> what two and a half on each side. I don't know. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. But I didn't care. You were jamming. I didn't care, dude. I was like, all right, like, I'm in it, you know. And, you know, and there's such fun memories of that time because I trip out on the fact that from that excitement, from that curiosity to explore and to want to learn more about this skateboard, I trip out on thinking that where that curiosity has led me, you know? It's really uh, a heavy thing <laughs> Yeah. to think about that, you know? Yeah. And it shows me the importance <clears throat> of indulging your curiosities, you know, because you never know where that can lead to. Yeah, that, that was a life-changing moment. Dude, that right there set the course. Yeah. I had no idea that I'd be, you know, almost 47, Still writing this thing. Yeah. You know, enjoying it and, and able to make a living and provide for my family. Yeah. You know?
0: Yeah, it's an amazing thing. I, I, I think about it quite often. And it is very surreal when you think back to the beginnings, the humble beginnings of, of that discovery. And then these, you know, decisions that you made early on in your life. You know, like you said, it set the course and skateboarding became a vehicle for our lives. It became how we learned things. It, it, You know, it it taught us how to navigate life and started off with like tricks. And then the same methodology that you use with tricks you can apply in other aspects of your life. And I I trip out on that regularly. It's probably once a week where I trip out. Like I'm just like... Because I, I, you know, whenever I talk about it too, it dawns on me like, yeah, I did grow up in Alabama. I did grow up so far away from where I am right Mm now, Mm -hmm. and that passion for skateboarding and to try and be around like-minded individuals brought me here. Yeah, you know, yeah, and
1: and that Mm -hmm. set the course. But yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a. To me, it's an interesting thing when you think about how important it is. To have interests. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because your point of contact with people. Becomes. Or I should say your point of contact with people. Really comes from the mutual interests that you share. Mm -hmm. And so it's funny because over the years it's just kind of like yeah it's kind of common sense but you really don't think about it but the more that I think about it it's it's through these interests that you build relationships that you build communities you know what I mean yeah and so when I talk about you know going to you know me and my buddy skate you know get and turn on to skateboarding but we're still solo just me and him exploring this new toy, if you will, um, by ourselves. And then we go to school. And now that interest that we have in this opens the door to now being a part of this way bigger group of people or community or whatever. Like, that's huge. You know what I mean? Because... and and what's really neat is and I think what we're talking about with skateboarding is you know interests are important but then when you have an interest that has so much power to it or depth to it like skateboarding has got so much to it and you have and that's your mutual interest that's where we that's where it's just like whoa like now like now I'm playing in a band I'm playing you know I've always wanted to play guitar even before getting into skateboarding you know MTV baby basically like cuz again like 84 I'm not sure when MTV came out but yeah it was, it was somewhere right, right around there. there I was in 5th grade <clears throat>
0: I think it was 84 actually
1: yeah I was in 5th grade or and I just rem- and I just remember just being enamored with the bands like these live concert footage because it was 24 7 music mm-hmm. at that time it's mm-hmm. really hard to imagine now yeah, yeah but at that time they came out saying it's 24 7 music um, mm-hmm. and so if you think about that's a lot of content you have to have mm-hmm. and there wasn't that many bands filming music videos mm-hmm. and so the content was concert footage and I remember like Friday night or Saturday night, it would be like they would show a full concert of either Ozzy, ACDC, Led Zeppelin or something, right? And and then during the day they would they pull out one song from those contests, I mean those concerts, and then just kind of rotate that way. So I saw a lot of just performances, basically. And I remember seeing the singer, and I'd be like, oh yeah, he's cool, but dude. When that lead guitarist would step up and do his thing, I was like, that's the man. And, and I just identified with that. And I was like, dude, that is so cool. Oh man, I wish I could play guitar. And at that time, there were, the school that I went to, there were a lot of stoners that were ripping guitarists, you know, and, and they were quintessential where they would cut school and just be in their garage. And they just have their amp and their, you know, Jackson guitar or flying, Gibson Flying V or whatever. And they'd just be in there rocking, smoking pot and rocking. And I'd be like walking home from school and I'd see these dudes like in their garages and I would just hang. At first I would hang kind of on the outskirts, like kind of like, you know, wouldn't go on their property. I would just stand on the sidewalk and just be listening. You know, and because they'd always have the door open, because they were just like they're so proud of it. That was kind of their deal, right? Yeah. And then after a while, they'd be like, "Hey, man, come up," and they'd have their cigarette break. They'd be like, "Here, check it out," or something. You know, and and so there was always this interest in wanting to play music or play guitar, and but other than those dudes, I didn't really know kids at my age that had their their own guitars. And so the closest I could get to it was when those guys on their cigarette breaks or when they're smoking pot or whatever, handed me the guitar, you know? But getting introduced to these skaters, and now these dudes have a punk band. And now before uh, we'd go skate, they'd have band practice. Now I'm right there able to like play their guitars. And then before long, I'm in the band because I've bugged them to teach me the songs or teach me chords or whatever, you know, and so um, I guess what I'm saying is that interests are important But when there's a when there's an interest that is so dynamic and has so much depth as like skateboarding it's just kind of next level <laughs>
0: yeah no I, I, I understand what you're saying it goes into you know art music business exactly. you know exactly. there's so many there's so many different you know videography photography mm-hmm. There's there's so many directions that that are in the scope inside mm-hmm. of skateboarding and that that is what makes it so cool and what makes yeah. it so interesting yeah so <clears throat> you um you talk about like getting into skating with your buddies mm-hmm. and then that you know shortly after opened the door to music for you Mm -hmm. but when did skateboarding get a little bit more serious where you were like you know getting sponsored or how was that transition from skating around the neighborhood to actually getting hooked up
1: yeah so um, a part of the you know our crew because what's rad about skateboarding is the kind of rank if you will you know it's like Skateboarding really has this cool dynamic of because because of it's much like music right because it, your age doesn't play that much of um, a role of who you can hang out with or do it with if you will <clears throat> it's yeah. all about your ability Yeah. right and so where sports it's tough to play basketball with a young kid right because Mm -hmm. he's just physically not there to be able to hang Mm -hmm. right but what I love about skateboarding is that it's not weird to skate with either younger kids or older people you know what I mean and so what I always appreciated was this kind of like having the older dudes in skateboarding being cool with you and allowing you to hang out and skate with them, and you know, mm-hmm. and so in our crew, the you know I kind of look at it as like there was like the older dudes, and then there was us. And the older dudes are like, and the older dudes were like, and I guess that's what I'm trying to get at. They were to the point where some of them were good enough to be sponsored, right? And or in were your, sponsored. And in your guys' crew, that's like. Robert Torres, Randy Whoa. Smith, Win- Ricky Windsor. No, so that so that was so <clears throat> the, those guys were later. R- Robert was there, but Ricky and Randy that was later. This is uh, Jim Namba, who these guys it was Jim Namba, um, Harry Wilson. Um, those guys, Harry was kind of like the legend around. Um, where we live because he was yeah this is San Jose yeah he was sponsored early on like the park days Mm -hmm. and so um so we always knew like dude like that that was a dude but he had kind of gotten out of it he was still around but it was funny because it was couldn't really see it in him Because he wasn't functioning in that. He was probably, he's kind of already at that point over his thing. Yeah. You know? But Nambo was always right there with him, but Jim Nambo was still functioning in it. So Nambo, like, when we would skate our local half pipe, because that's what happened, these guys that that I met, you know, again, starting middle or going to middle school in seventh grade, meeting these skaters, well, not only did they have the band, but they had the quarter pipe. Five foot high, eight foot wide quarter pipe that started at my friend Todd Jackson's house, because that's where he was a drummer, so that's where he practiced. His parents were super cool. So that was the hangout house. Yeah. That was the jam. Super important. And the, you needed that. Yeah. Crucial, right? Yeah. And the um and where the quarter pipe was. And so I'll never forget just being in a line. We just all being a line. Cause with the quarter pipe, it's like you hit it, come back, get in line. Everybody, go do their trick. Come back, get in line, right? And so we're there in the garage, just waiting, waiting to hit the the quarter pipe, right? And um, and 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 Todd's dad was really into um, uh, har You know, he's he's a he's a biker, and so part of that culture, like the Harleys and Hell's Angel culture. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know if he was ever a Hell's Angel or anything, but he's that in that culture, mm-hmm. and so. Um, I forget the name of the magazine. Um, I forget the name, but it had all these crazy illustrations all over the wall. Easy Rider. Easy Rider, exactly. Yeah, Yeah. and so you just—I remember I just be like, in line, like before hitting the quarter pipe, just tripping on these Easy Riders, just be like, whoa, dude, like, because they were pretty graphic. They were heavy, dude they were yeah. heavy and it, was a lot of, and it was all done on the bike it was all yeah. sex stuff yeah a lot of it yeah. and it was done on the bike while they were riding on the bikes you know yeah. and so anyways like I'll just never forget just you know that was our deal but we went from that five foot high eight foot wide quarter pipe and we found out about another dude who was selling one same thing five foot high eight foot wide and so um, either selling it or giving it away never forget we went and got that and then we went up to our friend Mike's House who was up the street and then we put them together And so we made a half pipe five foot high eight foot wide half pipe and so that eventually turned into Eight foot high 20 foot wide Wow ramp back then we call it vert ramp. Yeah nowadays would be like a mid or something yeah. but back then and so That's just kind of, that was our stomping grounds. We called it Club Griffins, because our friend Mike Griffin, that was his house. And his parents are just amazing because they just allowed us to just take over for years. you know. And so during that time, yeah, the older dudes would come and just kill it, dude. And so Jim Namba, he really stood out because Namba would be no pads, full, like just Smith grinds, frontside Smith grinds, great, frontside ollie's, backside, his board control was just next level, especially for back then. And so anyways, I was, being around those dudes, I saw like good skateboarding. And then them turning me on to the magazines and stuff, you quickly learn like where skateboarding goes. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, yeah, you get into it, but it can function at this level. You get, you know, you get hip to the pros and amateurs and and then a lot of like the local amateurs that skated vert, like um, John Fabricer and Jeff Fedge Hedges and um, Greg Aguilar and and uh, Corey O'Brien and a lot of these guys that were that were sponsored, a lot of them by Santa Cruz, um, would come by and skate the ramp, and then we'd just be like, "What the heck?" You know. And so I always knew about <clears throat> you know the aspect of being sponsored for skateboarding yeah. and, you know, and turning pro and stuff, you know, and my friend Robert Torres, what's interesting about Robert is that when Robert was really young, I want to say eight or nine, he had this interesting thing where he'd, he'd hopped on snowboarding super early, and so he had gotten sponsored by Sims for snowboarding, and then somehow, that translated to, he was skating the early parks. Um, Cause in, you know, living in San Jose, Malpitas was like next door. Mm-hmm. And so there was a park in Malpitas that um, Robert skated. And so he had a photo in a magazine being sponsored by Sims and it was a skate photo. And so anyways, Robert knew about that whole, he'd already experienced it. What it was like to get sponsored and and um, and be a part of what a brand's doing, you know? And so <clears throat> I one year, skating a vert ramp um, in San Jose, I lock up on a body jar and just boom, just dislocated my wrist. While I had that cast on, my parents were like, you're not skateboarding with that cast. And so I'm like, okay. But I always hung out at my friend Robert's house and Robert had a backup board. He had another board there. And so I would use that and we'd go skate. But during that time, I knew I couldn't take the bus to get out to the vert ramp. I'd get caught. Um, and because of the cast, you know, skating the ramps kind of wasn't an option. So what we did more of is what we always did when we would get kicked out of skating the ramp, where or, or the neighbors would be like, okay, that's enough, it's seven o'clock, yeah. you know. We would still <clears throat> all be hanging out. We'd go to local um, gas stations or schools and just still be skating. But it's funny, because back then the approach was very, ramp-oriented Everything we did was mimicking what we were doing on the coping or what we you do trying to blast out of it? bonuses or axle stalls or whatever, right? this time Kind of approaching it different Because right around this time when I have my cast and we can't skate the ramps jump ramps are kind of coming into play and guys are bringing them to schoolyards And so now there's a different dynamic now to not skating the ramps, but being out in the streets. Now it's like, wow, what's this thing? And what are we doing? Oh, doing judos like we would do on the ramp, you know? But but then it kind of opened it up to try different things. And it was during that time where I was just kind of like, man, this is really fun. And this is different. Because with the skating ramps, it was like you had a a laundry list of tricks that you had to learn You know, it's like okay learn an invert I learned fakie ollies. I learned rock and rolls fakie rocks 5050s axle stalls Frontside airs you're constantly like okay. What's next ooh? Okay. Let's try indie airs Okay, let's do mute and then we get out in the street and it's like huh okay, learn to ollie, learn to kickflip, and then it was just like, oh, there's nothing, wow. We can just explore and just try stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. And do that right there was just like, okay.
0: You had less expectation going into it, so everything was new and exciting.
1: Yeah, there was no, it was uncharted kind of feeling. You know what I mean? It was just like, yeah, much like Seen that skateboard for the first time where you're just like, dude, I want to go here I don't know what I'm about to get into but This looks exciting. Yeah, it was that same thing, you know, Totally. and it and was just like whoa, <clears throat> and that's just kind of where from then even when I got my cast off, I was just like I missed mean, still skated ramps and things, but I had already created an Appetite to be exploring out in the streets. Yeah and so it was during that time that we were just sponges, in the sense of just like, whoa, like all we wanted to do or go to these—they just called them like, uh, like street jams. And basically, what it was is like on the weekends, people would bring ramps over to a schoolyard, and people would find out about it through flyers or word of mouth, and just people would show up from all over San Francisco, neighboring cities, Santa Cruz come out to these street jams and you just skate all day. Bring the ramp over to the wall, do wall rides, jump, you know what I mean? People bring obstacles and you just be there skating and it was just addictive. We were just like, man, like, cause it was just kind of like, we just felt like it was this, almost like this world that we found within this thing that we love. We, always, we found all, all of a sudden this other, dimension of it that's more exciting than we were experiencing before. <laughs> yeah. And we're just like, whoa. And so in that process, the more we started going down that route, we'd hear about street contests and things. And then and then it was like, dude, there's a contest in Santa Clara. All right, let's go. Go there and like I'll never forget Jeff Kendall and Mark Gonzalez show up. And I swear to this day, and I forget who I was telling the other day, I think Greg Hunt, because we were just on a trip together. I was like, dude, I swear Gons only had three wheels. (laughs) And it was the first time I'd ever seen a 360 Ollie, like backside, I'm sorry, 360 air off a jump ramp you know, grabbing his backside, just like boom. Yeah. Him and, and uh, Kendall were just blasting him and we were just like, what? Cause you know, he, like- He did we,
0: that with three wheels?
1: I swear, I saw three wheels. I swear <laughs> to this day, dude, I swear. <laughs> <laughs> no, nobody believes that story. <laughs> that sounds insane. Yeah, right. But Do you
0: sure you just didn't have a weird colored wheel that looked like- No, I
1: mean, yeah. You know how it is. Cause he
0: would have had to have had both his back wheels in order to ride. In order to do it, it was a front. Yeah, he's It was a, a front, front for sure. I mean it's not it's not unfathomable that Gons would be that far of the Hey, moment.
1: Take it for what it is, but <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's, my,
1: that's my story and i'm sticking to it <laughs> yeah it's a total, i mean if it, if, it it's was, a, hey, if it was
0: anybody but Gonz, i would say there's no way you would like there had to have been some mistaken but i mean
1: you know the deal i could be remembering
0: it off i don't <laughs> you, you wouldn't forget that though that's like
1: no that's the deal it's like that was the impression i was just like whoa you know and Have you ever talked to Gons about that? No, I don't think I ever did. That's the first thing
0: I'd be like, Mark.
1: I know, right? Do you
0: ever remember going to a, a jam or a contest and skating with three wheels? <laughs> okay, yeah. so your mind was blown
1: by Jeff Kendall. So we're Gons. there. So we're there, and um, you know, again, we're just like, whoa, like just all of a sudden, just experiencing this again, whole other world, right? And so the more we delve off into that and the more that we go to these contests and things, then Robert's like, dude, we can get sponsored. And I was like, yeah, right. You know, and he's like, he could tell that we were onto something, you know? And because of his history, he's got relationships, right? And so he's like, I'm gonna reach out to Sims and see if we can get sponsored and I'm like, all right, dude like okay, and so dude he calls um, He calls Sims gets a hold of Steve Rocco who at this time Steve Rocco and Gons are the team managers If you can fathom that right and so these dudes are like so Gons wrote for vision Yeah, but Vision and Sims, it's all Dorfman. It's all one thing, Yeah, right? So Gons was like kind of Gons wrote for Vision. Rocco's writing for Sims. But, you know, again, they're all under the same roof. So these two dudes, these two dudes are team managers. And so Robert's talking to Rocco. And Rocco's like, huh, okay. And so he sends us a package. He sends us two boards, his boards. Rocco's. Yeah. Rocco's Street Board. It was like a street model or whatever. I remember Robert got the white one, I got the black one. And it was like Robert's was like white with pink and mine was black with pink or lettering. And, uh, and dude, we were just like, we thought we arrived. We were just like, what? Mm -hmm. I mean, and granted, we weren't even sponsored. It was just Rocco hooking us up. You know what I mean? But, dude, it was enough though. Dude, Mm -hmm. to get a free boards in the mail yeah. and just to be acknowledged and like, okay, here, you know, I think there were wheels. I think they sent us wheels too. Dude. We were just Sim, on-, Sim we were on St-
0: The semi Street wheels were so good. Yeah. Those yeah. were,
1: I'm not sure if that's what we got, but we were on cloud nine, they had, dude. They had
0: snakes too, right? And blurs. Oh, those
1: vision blurs. And so we were just like, all right. And that was kind of like, that was the little bit of crack, like mm-hmm. the crack to kind of be like, whoa. Maybe there is something here, you know, and so you know after Shortly after that those dudes get fired from being team managers (laughs) Because undoubtedly they were just like, you know stealing product and selling it and so they get busted They're no longer team managers but Rocco at that same time gets hired to be the team manager for venture And so Venture Trucks at this time is, like, a new company. Gons is riding for it. I think that's the only person on at that time. And Steve was, like, look it. I can't get you guys boards anymore, but I'll put you on Venture Trucks. And we were just, like, with Gons being on it, we were just, like, yes. Like, we're on the same team with Gons. Like, we're just so about it, right? And so we're – and that one was a legit sponsor. Like, we're a sponsor. Like, okay, like. It's, it's not just, products, yeah, right. it's not just Rocco like hooking us up with these boards that he shouldn't be taking or whatever. <laughs> yeah. It's like, okay, we're on the list. Like, I don't need Rocco to get my trucks. Right. I remember I called Thrasher and be like, hey, can I get some trucks? Yeah. Which is funny because how long, How especially back then, like, how fast are you going through trucks? Yeah. But not very often. But, but just, just being able to call and get some <laughs> stuff was just like everything, you know? And so that was kind of what. Opened the doors for going down that route of getting sponsored you
0: know right and then it from there it went to Alva and then from Al- yeah, Alva, yeah exactly Stacy mm-hmm
1: yeah and then from there it was we started going to Sacramento a lot to skate with our friends out there um, Ricky Windsor and Randy Smith and um, Steve-o and his his brother John Brockton and a lo- it was in Sam Cunningham and um, and uh, Ross Goodman was in the mix. And it was basically, it was like Sacramento's, um, uh, it was their scene, but it was like the ghost Skate dudes. There was this skate shop, shop mm-hmm. called Ghost Skate. And so it was all, it was their crew, like the Ghost Skate guys. And dude, we would take the Greyhound from San Jose to Sacramento, that Greyhound, like the drive would, Typically be what, like two and a half hours or something. but Greyhound would push it out to like four and a half, five or something, right? But we'd bail after school on a Friday, get there late Friday night and just link up with everybody and go skate. And it was just like, oh, I so looked forward to that because how they were approaching Skating Street was just like so exciting to me. And they were the dudes, a lot of those guys, especially Randy and Ricky, that was where they showed, they showed us what you could do with flat ground, you know, and, and yeah, when we would go in there, it was just like, it was just, I felt like I would, each time I would go to Sacramento, I would just learn so much. (laughs) Yeah, just it gets se- so juiced, you know?
0: Yeah, it seemed that, you know, your first two parts, your first two Powell parts, and I don't mean to skip ahead, but it seemed like your first two Powell parts were predominantly flat ground, you know? like. And that was
1: really coming out of that. I mean, yeah. that's, you know, so influenced by that and what I learned through going out but, there and skating with those guys. Totally. It was really unique, though. I remember seeing it as a kid.
0: And it's crazy to think that flat ground, I mean, I guess it still is pretty important. Like, if you put a... You know video of yourself doing flat ground tricks on Instagram it'll be your highest like grossing views over other things which is pretty strange but I remember that when that rubber boys part came out mm-hmm. public domain and when it hit I mean first off for me being a younger kid mm-hmm. and you guys like being like the younger crew on powell mm-hmm. like I could identify it the same with like you know guy Rudy and Gabriel
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, I could identify with it and I, while i liked the bones brigade i thought they were cool they mm-hmm. were they were like grown ups mm-hmm. and they were mostly skating vert yeah. so the fact that you guys were like just going out skating like a crew going out and just skating through the sidewalks and through mm-hmm. the streets and then mm-hmm. it looked it looked as if you were just finding spots on the way mm-hmm. so it very much so translated to what to how me and my friends skated yeah. and it gave us a level of you know not just inspiration but like this is what you and your buddies filming could look like you know yeah, yeah i just remembered like wanting to learn i watched rubber boys so many times <laughs> learning each one of the no comply tricks you know like one at a time yeah, like, yeah, yeah. you know like okay yeah. now this today i'm learning the, you know 180 no complies yeah, yeah the, sh- the 43 shifty yeah, yeah, like, yeah i remember just you know and i all of them didn't work the same way as you did them, too. Like, some of them worked the same, mm-hmm. but then, like, for the backside one, I had to step on, like, the mm-hmm. other side of my board. Mm-hmm. I couldn't step on the same side. Mm-hmm. And I realized yeah. that, I don't know if you've seen, but nowadays, like, kids are learning, like, they you they do, do the that same way. side. Awesome. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's really, like, almost, like, trendy. It's, it's a different feel yeah. to scoop. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I yeah. I did my best to learn those tricks, but, <laughs> but watching those parts, like, in Chet, too. Chet was really small, and mm-hmm. I was kind of small. In my yeah. Body, so, yeah, yeah. like
1: so you identify it? yeah
0: and you know you guys were like skating that i know that one part in rubber boys where you guys go to that little like the that little ledge the little ledge and you yeah with vivo the with us yeah mm-hmm.
1: um Thebo does that frontside like a, it's like a pivot it was like an early frontside 360 yeah. i remember I and chet like, i
0: think does an impossible off the yeah. ledge as well mm-hmm. and that might have been the first
1: impossible on a street board
0: i had seen oh um, yeah maybe yeah and then yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. you know and i I just remembered being like in awe of that section, like,
1: and the music too. Like the music was so good. Yeah, Yeah, I mean Stacy, dude. Yeah, I mean just having you know knowing what would what would function well with all of that. Yeah, creating that whole feel, right? Yeah, you know, it it totally was a feel. Mm -hmm. And for me
0: in the Powell videos, some of those there was a bunch of bunch of cool stuff that came, you know, that Mm -hmm. that happened on the Powell videos. But that one, I felt like. I don't know i don't know as yeah. a kid i was, you know, it, I was like, it hits
1: it hits you where you're at yeah you yeah. know what i mean i mean that's that's you know it's funny because how you were saying you could relate to chet and a lot of it because he was the small dude in the yeah. mix it's like dude that was tony hawk for us yeah right you know for us growing up it was just like dude there's a little dude in the mix we're all little dudes like you're just looking for some example to give you hope yeah totally you know what i mean and when you can spot it You've got such an emotional connection with it because yeah. you're like, dude, you're the dude showing me that it's possible. Yeah. Because I'm trying to do it and I need to know that it's possible. Yeah. And you're showing me that it's possible. Yeah. So you're my guy. Totally. You know what I mean? And yeah. that's what and that's what Stacy was hip to. And that's what that's what he saw that street skating could do. Totally. He saw that street skating could say this is opened up to all of you now. Yeah, that LA Boys documentary
0: that Colin Kennedy did. Yeah, that's was great. like it it really goes into that that mm-hmm. Stacy basically had a vision for knowing there was a change of guard. Yeah, exactly. And, and that he knew that he couldn't just sponsor one street kid. He needed to get crews that already had the chemistry. Yeah. That all he had to do was just follow them around with a camera yeah, and they were totally. going to be gold. Yeah. And, you know, and mm-hmm. and I think that those two sections um, you know, that they were big, you know, yeah, like they, for they were sure. big for me. And, I, you know, on the beginning of your band, this part with like the heat rising off mm, the sidewalk and mm-hmm. you know, you just doing flat ground. heading i yeah, yeah, yeah. them, like, you know, coming off of public domain. And it was only like what a year and some change later.
1: Probably a year. Yeah. Yeah. And I, sure.
0: I, you know, like your part and your style of skating and just the way you moved in the rubber boys section was so unique from anything I'd ever seen. And when I got band this, and that song started, and you were just cruising at the camera, like, I was oh, right. so, so stoked, <laughs> because, I mean, I feel like he made that part, the sequel to your Rubber Boys part. Yeah. You know? He really yeah, did a good job. Yeah, I almost job. feel
1: like he saw what was starting Yeah. in the mix with everybody, and then I feel like he had a really good vision for it existing on its own. Yeah. Because public domain, it's it's in there, but it's in the mix. Yeah and but i had turned pro from there so all the pros had their solo part yeah you know and yeah, so was he like did the a good, things was done he did the a good job went. of representing that approach in a solo way yeah. yeah right you know but
0: i remembered seeing the band this part and feeling like i wanted more like i, mm. I remember like in the rubber voice part i felt like they almost showed more skating of you because you had different terrain like mm-hmm. the band this part was mainly flat ground and that one three stair it was mm-hmm. a couple of like you all had a couple stairs in a row mm-hmm. and you had that front board on that rail mm-hmm. i thought that was cool but i i remember like being like mm-hmm. oh it's over yeah, yeah you know but um yeah I, yeah I like how he also um he you know you you mentioned this in other in previous interviews how he basically made them look like they're one day of skating and yeah where totally. you wore the same clothes and it just looked like hey we're gonna go out and just skate yeah um but yeah. anyway i and then I remember, too, seeing the Ragdoll rag board for the first time. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, You know, being a fan, and I lived in a small town in Alabama, and we couldn't get all the boards, so I saw it in the magazine. But I remember, um, have you heard it? Do you remember Sean Young?
1: Yeah, dude. Sean's okay. awesome, dude. Yeah. Yeah. Ripper on guitar. Totally. We would jam he, he did, together out in San, San Francisco.
0: Everything Sean did he did well.
1: Yeah. Um so he is, I did. when
0: yeah, when when I was young, Sean lived in the town over from me in oh, Alabama. Okay. Yeah. And then his parents ended up moving to New England okay. and he his skateboarding was light years around everybody around us. Like he was always way in front. Yeah. At any rate, he came to visit He came to visit from New England right when he moved there and he had the Ragdoll board and it was the first time it was the full size one. He had it, and I was the first, I remember it being kind of big, too, like, well, it's kind of a big board, and he was the first dude I ever, in real life, saw do a 360 flip and an impossible. Wow. And they were both on that board. And he was so talented but it was it was like this thing came together like my local inspiration that i knew he was the best one around he was yeah, way yeah, beyond yeah, yeah. he was way better than all of us like yeah. way better yeah yeah. and um he was skating your board which i'd always wanted to see one in
1: person oh, okay and then now <laughs> i got
0: to see one in person and not only did i get to see it in person i got to see it in action like that like, dude the killin'. dude yeah. yeah and he was like working he was doing like you know backside 360 ollies around that time right. and, and in our in our town in alabama yeah. like we were so starved for for content yeah you know we had i had sick boys yeah. i know you had a couple of tricks in that too but i had sick boys and then we had the bones brigade video shows you know yeah. we had animal chin yeah, yeah, yeah and then you know public domain and i this might even maybe it was around the time band this came out but we didn't have a lot yeah and sure. so we had bits and pieces and it, and because the look of it was so professional and it was such like almost like a blockbuster yeah video, right mm-hmm. I felt like that wasn't for me to have. I felt like it, you know, until Sean, I saw him do it in yeah. real life, yeah, right yeah, in totally, front of me. Totally. He, like, bridged the gap between what the pal video was yeah. and what my life was. Yeah. And then, like, Chet gave me that hope. Sean was, like, the local to be yeah. like, look. Not even look. It was just, like, I'm watching it go down. This yeah. guy could be in one of those videos. Yeah. I just remembered it lit a whole other level of inspiration.
1: And And the crazy thing is, is, like no matter how much inspiration you can get from videos like it pales in comparison to when you can see it live yeah it's like music right it's like you can listen to an album and you're like this is good but when you're seeing that band doing their thing live and you're feeling the air from the speakers the energy from the band and the crowd it's just a whole nother thing Mm -hmm. and skateboarding is the same way like When someone's like right there in front of you, like killing it, it's got such a different deal than yeah. just watching it on the because now it's now it's tangible. It's like when it's on the screen, it's like it's inspiring, but but it does have this sense of like on the outside it's of the action. Yeah, you're viewing far, from the outside. Yeah. It's far but, away. But when you see it live, you're it's you're in the action. Mm-hmm. And it's just such a different thing. So I could relate to, like, you know, what you felt from Sean. Yeah. You know, and what that could inspire. Yeah, and it sounded
0: like it was you had a lot of that going on. You grew up in California, so it wasn't rare
1: for you to see to get some burst of. No, I mean, what was a little more accessible was. I mean, I still had to travel to it, like, it wasn't in my town, because yeah. all, like, me and Robert, we were kind of the dudes that were kind of like, we're going here, you guys. Like, that whole crew that I talked about that, that you know, taught me so much and opened up the possibilities of the culture of skateboarding and, you know, and, you know, experiencing So many aspects of it like those dudes were all predominantly vert and ramps, you know And so when I kind of had this epiphany after breaking my wrist It was kind of me and Robert were kind of like off on our own So even in San Jose We were just kind of solo in a sense for the stuff that we were getting excited about and I think that's why it was so important to get out to Sacramento because they were functioning and excited about the same things that we were excited yeah. about. Yeah. We were all having the same conversation. We kind of weren't having the same conversation per se anymore with all my buddies that I started skating with, yeah. because they were like, "We're skating ramps," and I'm like, "Dude, I want to practice because we want to go skate this contest that's coming up in a week." Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so, and so I can relate to that sense of like, you don't really have much of it, and you go to where you can get it. Yeah, and we did the same thing. Like
0: when I got really into skating, like eighth ninth grade and i was old enough to kind of travel a little bit Mm -hmm. we started going all around the southeast we started going to pensacola florida panama city beach um we started going to atlanta you go where it's happening yeah wherever we Mm -hmm. could and we would get we would you know you'd link up with a crew you'd meet a crew somehow and then that crew you knew that they would be out skating and they'd be pushing it on the weekends and Mm -hmm. you know going there compared to staying in your town your town was flat you know i mean like or my town was flat there wasn't a lot going on but we would go where, like you said, wherever it was happening. Mm -hmm. And, um, so to fast forward a little bit, like you rode for Powell, like what was it? I mean, that's, that's huge, obviously. And at this point you're pro for, you know, one of the biggest companies, but then there was another changing of the guard. Like what, you know, how did it go about you leaving Powell and you went to the firm, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So
0: how, how did that go down and how, You know where were you in that process?
1: So I mean, it's so crazy when you think about that whole period because I I feel like back then six months is kind of like the equivalent of like two years. Mm -hmm. No, I would agree with that. You know what I mean? And so it's crazy when I think that you know I turned pro in '89. I want to say firm was like 91
0: yeah not very far after so it's
1: crazy because like in this two year little window I feel like a lot transpired mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean yeah. um, and so basically I mean, the foundation of your career was in that two years yeah I mean it started 88 oh, yeah with, I, yeah, right, yeah exactly three but you're right th- Your yeah. pro yeah. career yeah, yeah yeah like I'm I'm able to be around to this day because of those three years yeah 88 to 90 yeah, well, that's the foundation
0: and you build on that for,
1: you know, yeah for sure yeah. But again like it's heavy to think again that so much happened in such a small amount of time. Yeah, but that's just the way it was totally. right and so yeah, I mean I think I got on Alva in like maybe beginning of 86 or something um, then Yeah, or maybe middle of 86, then got on GNS. Oh, I didn't even know about that. Yeah, wrote for GNS, and then got on Powell. Yeah. And so, um, basically, what Powell was, you know, once street skating came in and really, you know, really came in and took over, if you will, Mm -hmm. um, and when I say took over, when when the brand started following suit with um, having more street pros and totally. putting more um, you know investment into street skating, then um, I think Stacy just Stacy got disinterested in all of it. You know, I think um, there were a lot of things that happened that led to him just wanting to move on you know Rocco the way that you did videos how technical the tricks were becoming I don't Stacy never wanted to sit there for a long time filming one trick Mm -hmm. you know if we went out filming with Stacy if you weren't getting your thing happening in the amount of time that he was willing to sit there you're moving on so the whole like we're gonna take hours to get this one thing Stacy was just like yeah, and it, and it showed because some tricks
0: wouldn't even be made there'd be 75% of the trick and it would just go in the part like if you were you know you'd think that they stepped off or something because Stacy would cut them so tight you know mm-hmm. and you knew that the guy was capable of making it because they show he showed you that the guy was capable but he didn't even really care if the whole roll away was there it was kind of like let's just show what you can do
1: yeah I mean again like it's so you know you have to think about back in Stacy's almost creating how skateboarding is being presented <laughs> mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, and yeah. so the choices that he made during that time. I mean here's the crazy thing He's shooting film. Yeah, 35 millimeter film. He's shooting film yeah. So that's playing a huge part of how long are you willing mm-hmm. how many how many cartridges or whatever it is that the reels yeah. at that point are you willing to run through to see this one trick, yeah. when he's seeing the whole overall picture, maybe thinking like it's not really even gonna do that much, yeah. possibly. Who knows? Yeah. You know what I mean? But again, you know, all of all of that coming into play. I think Stacy was just like, "I'm done." And so basically, once Stacy left, there was no vision. Yeah, it was just kind of we all were sitting there just being like, "Okay, like our captain's gone. Mm-hmm. Like, w- where's this ship going?" Right. And yeah, you know what I mean? One by one, like Tony yeah, birdhouse birdhouse. Like, boom, boom. And then Lance's well, thing was interesting because Stacy was telling George for a long time, like, especially after Rocco came in and, and what A Street was doing, Stacy was like, you gotta let these guys do what we did. You gotta let them do their own thing. You know? So by the time Jim and Tommy bailed. I want to say, even McGill and Tony were gone. Then George comes over to Lance and is just like, let's start a brand under you. It'll be a part of Powell, but you'll be, you know, the creative behind it. And it'll kind of be like, it's your thing. And so that's kind of how the firm started. It started under that premise. And then the more Lance went down, that road he was like you know what i'm always going to have to answer to george i'm just going to do this on my own and he was just like i'm going to do this on my own do you still want to do it and i was like yeah totally and that's so how at
0: that f- time you you and lance had already you know you'd had a bond together
1: or? me and lance lance was my dude from the time i got on the team <laughs> straight up what do but, you think
0: the connection there was he lance has a really besides the obvious that lance is the best
1: yeah, but but the qualities that makes him the best, or that I really appreciated, was that he was really informative. He's a thinker. Mm-hmm. He'll dissect stuff like, like you can't, you wouldn't believe, you know, mm-hmm. like, and
0: almost to his detriment.
1: Yeah, I know it's, a, I know it can be a struggle. Yeah, he overthinks you know? a lot. Of yeah, things. yeah, but being. A naive 16 year old kid in this environment now, you you're looking to someone that you can trust. Mm-hmm. And that was Lance.
0: Yeah, he has those qualities for sure.
1: Oh, like, cause he will just be he'll be honest with you and and a lot of his perception on things is pretty close. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so like quickly I was just like he was my go-to. Anything I was tripping on or like questioning, I'd ask him and and he can explain it in a way to where I'm like, oh, okay, okay, whoa. Almost like a mentorship. Straight up mentorship. Straight yeah. up big brother. Yeah. You know? Not only just for business kind of things, like being a naive kid, all of a sudden a part of this machine, if you will, mm-hmm. but just in the history of skateboarding. Like I've always had older skaters in my life to be like, hey, this dude, this dude. Getting on Powell, going on these tours, and hanging out with Lance, it was just like, it was college. Yeah, he's, We're skateboarding, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. And I was just like a sponge, just like, yes, yes, oh, I get why that dude's important. Oh, cool, you know? Because he's a scholar of mm-hmm. skateboarding. He has a wealth of knowledge. Mm-hmm. I mean, probably
0: it, one of the most knowledgeable people still in skateboarding. Yeah, I would say. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, and having his ramp, the dudes I would meet through just skating the ramp. Mm-hmm. you know what I mean guys would come by like Freddie DeSoto and Steve Hirsch and these dudes dudes that wrote for Veriflex you know and me being like hey those guys are kind of cool and then him being like pull me in and show me the magazines and he's like boom and I'm like wow that's so cool you know I've always loved the history of things Yeah. you know what I mean it it, it plays such a huge part of, of me experiencing and appreciating and and it's just it's a part of the the process that I I really um, find enjoyable, you know? And so when um, when I can get with people who have that knowledge, it's, you know, that's such a cool thing, you know? And so, but anyways, yeah. And so when Lance was like, I'm gonna do this thing, I'm like, yeah, no brainer, let's do this. Like, I trust you, like, let's get it. <laughs> cause. What are we doing? We're not doing and anything. And then the, the Grubers came in, and you guys put together a team. Well, first, first it was gonna be Colin McKay, myself, and I, even Moses, possibly, at that time. But then Colin bailed out, and then um, Lance had been talking with Keith Gruber, and then Keith came on. Joe didn't come on till later because Joe was writing for Vision. Mm-hmm. And so it was me, Lance, and Keith. At first, mm-hmm. that's a big leap. I mean,
0: around that time, But I know that you guys already saw that things weren't happening. The yeah, way it didn't, they were it didn't feel
1: didn't feel like a big leap. It felt like it felt like an escape. <laughs> yeah, it felt like freedom. <laughs> you know, because you have to remember, like, it had gotten Rocco did his job. Rocco made the big brand lame yeah you know what I mean and Rocco was able to come in with that um, that energy of the that DIY approach and he brought that to skateboarding as a brand you know what I mean mm-hmm. and so it's so it just it wasn't yeah. cool to be a part of a big brand and if a big brand's suffering and you're just like whoa you know and so at that point, it didn't feel like a leap at all. It just felt like, okay, cool. It felt like a solution. Yeah, it that's felt, cool. Felt like a um, uh, a resolve, you know.
0: I can totally relate to it. I mean, I, I, I can see how how it felt that way. And I've heard the stories for people like leaving Powell at the time, and you know, Powell and Santa Cruz suffered a similar fate during mm-hmm. that time period. And mm-hmm. um, thankfully, they both you know made it through. But um, yeah, totally. Um, so. You and Lance, you you guys are doing the firm. Do you think that your your closeness and your relationship with Lance, um, because Lance was a Christian at the time, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. Do you think
0: that that helped lead you to the Lord or in finding the Lord?
1: Yeah, I mean, I feel like there's a lot of, um, I feel like there's a lot of people that God put in my life to show me his love for me you know, and I would say for sure say Lance, um, I say my grandmother, you know, um, she was huge in, um, show me and being like an example of what, um, of what Jesus can do in someone's life and in their heart, you know, but, um, but yeah, totally. You know, I, I, I remember, I remember there's a time in uh in we were in France and there was these like Christian missionaries that were out there and um and Lance was leaving to go to a contest. It was me, Lance, um, Soren Abbey, and Bucky Lassett. And uh and we had just gotten to the hotel. We got, we came from a demo or something, got to our hotel. Me and Bucky went and put our stuff in the room. And then we went down to say bye to Lance because Lance was bailing to go to a contest, a vert contest or something. And so Lance talking to these people and I'm like, who's, who's this, who's Lance talking to, right? It was like this older lady and her husband, you know? and um, And I walk over there and this lady, walks over to me and she's like, hi, how are you doing? And I'm like, hey, how's it going? And she's like, do you believe in God? And I'm like, uh, okay, here we go. Right. And, and I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, yeah. And, um, she, I'm like, yeah, my, my grandmother used to read the Bible to me a lot. You know, I mentioned something like that. And she's like, you loved your grandmother, huh? And I'm all, I'm all, yeah. And she's like, yeah, your your grandmother's good, doing good. She's with Jesus now, and I remember I was like, oh oh, because I'm like I didn't tell her that my grandmother passed away. My grandmother passed away like probably like two or three years prior. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And then, um, and then I remember I was just kind of like, whoa, this lady's tripping me out, <laughs> and especially because she called that out and she was so confident in it. You know, mm-hmm. I was just like, whoa, dude. And then um, she. Um, she called over to her husband and was like, honey, you see this one? He's gonna be a strong one in three years. And I remember I was was all strong one. I knew she meant like a Christian, right? And I remember I was just like all, it was like a death sentence. I was like, what the heck, like what? And I was like, I didn't know what to do with it because she called it out on my grandmother kind of thing, you know? And and I remember just being like, whoa. And so, I remember we go back and she and she went over and talked to uh to Bucky also you know and I remember like just feeling weird right and we get to the room Lance is gone they all leave um and I'm like to Bucky I'm like dude that lady was kind of trippy and he's like yeah she was trippy and I was like dude what she say to you and he was just like you know yeah she called it out on you know wife can't remember specifically what he was talking about, but he was just like, yeah, she made me feel weird too. Like, she was kind of spot on with something, you know. And so anyways, I come back home and then I'm just kind of, I know Lance is a Christian, you know, and so I'm like, asking him like, dude, that lady was trippy, she did this. And Lance was just like, some people have that gift, you know. And I remember I was just like, whoa, dude, whoa, you know. But, you know, what, what led me to Jesus was, I was just uncomfortable with with my life and and not having answers to things and it just built up from so many years you know and nobody really having answers for me really you know but um but again you know my grandmother uh praying for me and reading the bible to me i had this knowledge of god but didn't know him you know but I wasn't like a lot of my friends that were just kind of super anti like I was more open you know and um, yeah he just he drew me one year to him in um, I was in Amsterdam um, red light district actually and I had been there years before and didn't think anything of it but I was searching I was searching for truth you know and he honored that it's
0: weird that you found truth in the red light district
1: yeah because the contrast was so heavy yeah I got to a point through that night of just being like it wasn't supposed to be like this it wasn't supposed to be like this I didn't know what it's supposed to be like mm-hmm. but I remember I could vividly see just the emptiness and the lust of what was happening there you know I would look at the women in the You know in their little rooms in the windows I could just see like they were just dead inside you know and then I'd see all the dudes like you know like the the quote-unquote like prettiest ones like she would be the ones that could pick what dude right the other ones were like trying to get you to come in but the one that was like the most attractive had all the dudes lined up trying to like be the one to get picked to go in Mm -hmm. with her you know what I mean and it was just like that scenario just because I was seeking truth, because I was just so tired of my life and was just kind of, you know, I mean, God says that he, He come near to him and he'll come near to you. You know what I mean? And, and I was trying to come near to truth and he's the way, the truth and the life. So just that desire of wanting to come near sincerely to truth, he was drawing me to him, you know? And part of that was he was, I felt like I was super aware of, um, that scenario was just super potent to me in such a different way because I was seeking truth. And so I was just like, whoa, this is heavy. This is really heavy, you know? And, And by the end of that night, I was just like, man, my grandmother is right. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And I was just like, I'm just gonna follow God. And I remember I was like, dude, I'm not gonna tell anybody because I don't need people to be like, here, come to my church, or here, come here, or I was just like, dude, it's just gonna be me and you, Lord, I'm gonna read the Bible. My grandmother had passed away, and so it was like, I didn't really have her to like share with the, the news, And but God and his faithfulness, I get home, and <laughs> there's a knock at the door like the next morning, and it's like these Jehovah Witnesses, and and they're knocking at the door and then they're telling me their spiel about like, you know, did you did you know we're supposed to live here forever? And, and I remember I was just kind of like, dude, my grandmother talked about a heaven. <laughs> and I remember just thinking like, dude, I don't, this is sounding kind of weird to me. Um, but what I love is how God used that opportunity to teach me more about him. And Lance was huge in that because I would just be like, Lance, what's going on? Like, they're saying this and that. And Lance would be like, dude, read this verse, read John, whatever, you know, um, just tell me a verse. Sending you back to the Bible. Just sending yeah. me back to the Bible. And um, and that process was huge because it gave me a foundation, Yeah, basically. Yeah. And so I'm very thankful for a lot of things, but I'm thankful for that. Um, in Lance, I had somebody to talk with about these things yeah you know because none of my friends they would just kind of be like they poo-poo that in a heartbeat yeah. like anytime it, yeah i
0: was gonna ask how did how did that affect your interpersonal or like your friendships and your relationships what did people when people found out
1: yeah i mean so there's a verse in the bible that says to not have zeal without knowledge you know and i function in a lot of zeal without knowledge you know because he says too like i'll bring you out of the darkness and into my wonderful light and it's just like dude that night in Amsterdam the biggest weight load was lifted off of me you know what I mean Mm -hmm. and it's like I didn't have all the answers but I knew where to go yeah you know I can relate to that yeah and so it's this kind of like but there's this when you when you have all this weight lifted off of you there's this excitement of just like wow it's like wanting to it's like I always use the analogy. It's like you with your friends and everybody's sitting around complaining about there not being any good skate spots or whatever, you know, and you're out on your own searching because you're just fed up, right? And you're just like, I'm over this, I'm gonna go look. And you look and you actually find an amazing skate spot. And it's got all of the ingredients that are wanted, right? You go back to your friends, you're not gonna be all chill about it. You're not just gonna be like, oh, like, as they're complaining, you're not Mm -hmm. gonna be like, yeah, I know, and keep it to yourself. You're like, you wanna be like, dude, I got the spot. Come on, dude, like, let's stop wallowing in our mud right here. Let's go have fun. I've got the spot. I'm skating it every day. It's so fun. And they're like, yeah, right, dude, Uh uh-huh. There's nothing good over there. Like, yep, yep, yep. I was that dude. From the jump just like you guys it's so clear like ah but a lot of it was zeal without knowledge you yeah. know yeah, and so and so I'm yeah. thankful that um I don't mind if people are offended if it's because of the truth if it's because of God's Word and what he says where I struggle with is when I get in there and mess it up mm-hmm. you know what I mean and I acknowledge that that zeal without knowledge was me getting in there, being excited and messing it up because a lot of it was didn't have to go down that way, yeah, you know what I mean, and so um that being said, my friends were super um understanding, yeah I feel like in the in the mix of all that, you know, you know.
0: That's cool, and I think that I mean obviously that probably helped your relationship with Lance throughout the you know time on the firm, and you guys had that bond together and had that level of conversation. And oh, for support. sure,
1: yeah. Because when you talk about <clears throat> mutual interest, I yeah. mean to me this is the interest that's more important than any interest that could ever be out there. Yeah, you know, and so yeah, to be on that, to have that in common, it's um it's everything, you know. Yeah, I
0: mean I. I could see that I mean I had that with my wife but I didn't have that with like a close skate friend Mm -hmm. you know and I think that that it kind of stunted my growth a little bit in my walk because Mm -hmm. you know I was around like everybody I was around was into totally different stuff yeah I was kind of like flying solo for a while yeah Um, but so to kind of shift gears a little bit like um, I know that you've been um, you know shooting photos for a lot of years now mm-hmm. and your photography is something you're very passionate about like when I think of when I think of you I think of you know your skateboarding all the skateboarding on Powell all those lines and stuff and then I think of all of the firm video and all mm-hmm. the footage that you put out with the firm but then I think of music and photography like really close in there mm-hmm. um, when did you start fostering a passion for photography and how does that and what role does that play in your life now?
1: Again like when you talk about interest, it's like, I'm just... God's given me that curiosity about wanting to explore things and, and to, I guess, entertain them. <laughs> and so for me, what happened with photography is, you know, growing up in skateboarding around so many talented photographers, you know, I like, feel so blessed and spoiled to be around so many talented people just in skateboarding in general, mm-hmm. but you know when when especially in the era and the time that we got into skateboarding, when the magazines functioned off of these are photos that dudes printed in a dark room that end up in the magazines, you know, and I guess what I'm trying to say is, you know, growing up with photographers that grew up with film, you know. And much like vinyl much like tape for um, recording music there's just a quality to that that I'm just really enamored with mm-hmm. you know and so having been steeped in and around all of these talented photographers that function with the medium and the materials of the me- medium that excite me like Basically, I'm talking about prints and film, you know, Tobin, Gabe, Spike, Humphreys, you know, Kevin Thatcher, MoFo, Bryce, like Grant, like going to their photo shows or some of them handing me prints. Like I would love when like MoFo would hand me a print or even Luke Ogden or something like, oh, I printed this the other day. There's such a um, there's such a, a, a an emotional dynamic or feel to that mm-hmm. that I've always admired. That yeah, you feel
0: like there was a process to to create what I'm holding. Yeah, and it wasn't convenient, and someone went through that process. Yeah. they're actually giving you something tangible totally. that has
1: value because of that that and, time invested. And not only, and that's a hindsight thing. A lot of it is. The feel that it exudes yeah you're just like this just looks so cool <laughs> yeah just based on that alone yeah. and then you find out the backstory and it makes yeah. it cooler yeah but the actual thing itself i'm just like dude this is has a feel to it and this is whoa and so i've just always had a respect for those guys and especially being on the other end of their cameras i've always been intrigued with like what camera is that whoa four by five wall eight by ten oh what a Hasselblad or what's you know not always and, and I started to notice like certain like people's personalities with their cameras, you know, like the ones that they would like. And it was just because I knew to them that, yeah, they came to it through skateboarding. But I think because of playing music and even skateboarding, you can appreciate someone's affection towards their tools. Yeah. You just get it. You know that like, dude, like they dig that. You know what I mean? And so there was something that I just had, always had a lot of respect for that, mm-hmm. you know. And then. You know, one year being on a a long tour, we were out for like two months, and like two weeks into that tour, just realizing like I'm blowing it, I'm not capturing moments. Um, You know, it was way before phones, having cameras and stuff like that. And I remember on that trip just being like, dude, I need to get a camera. And uh, yeah, my friend Joe Brooke being like, dude, when we get to New York, I'll take you to B&H and I'll get you the camera. I'll tell you the camera that you should get. And then get, you know, go there and he, turns me on to this little point and shoot, Yoshika T4, which was like the hip camera at the time. All the skate photographers were getting them because the lens had this Carl Zeiss lens, which that was rare for that type of camera and at that price. And so I got that and dude, I just ran that for years. And I love the process of it, of just going on this trip, shooting, coming home, taking the rolls over to like the drugstore. And getting my prints back and showing it to like my friends taking one putting it up on the wall and being like dude that was cool you know but then what happened was digital came in and then they came the digital version of that and it just didn't have the same feel it was slow I would miss moments because it wouldn't trigger right when I would hit you know and Cause it had all these auto functions at this auto function and it yeah. just wasn't fast yeah just didn't because it had an autofocus too so I had yeah. to do that first and then
0: yeah
1: yeah. Um, but all the while while I had that camera I would look over at my wife's Pentax K1000 which to me that camera represented the zone that my friends functioned in basically like you have to know what you're doing to use mm-hmm. that thing you know and I would look at that thing from time to time and be like man one day I'm gonna learn that it's no different than like I would look over at my you know I had a synth or, or, or see, see someone using a synthesizer in, you know, in a video or hear it on an album and be like, man, synths are cool, one day I wanna figure it out. I wanna learn that. It always starts with that little seed yeah. and then what happens is it'll just kinda grow and grow and sometimes it'll take years and sometimes it doesn't, but once it grows, I've gotta do it. And that's what happened with photography. It was like the seed was in there and it would get water from time to time because of the T4 or because of seeing my wife's camera, but it would get to the point where it's like, okay, it's gotta poke out of the, of the soil now. Mm-hmm. And that's what happened with me with photography about 10 years ago. I was just like, okay, I've gotta do it. I just gotta do it. And so once I figured out a way to get in the darkroom, because a huge part of my enthusiasm or, or interest towards it is to have to go print it also like I saw that as the two functioning together, almost like the guitar and the amp. Yeah. It was just like, okay, I can shoot it, but I need to have it be expressed. And so I need to get in the dark room. And so that was a hang up for a little bit. I was figuring out like knowing like, dude, I can't get Ed and Deanna to, to hold my hand through this process at their dark room. Like they're so busy. So, and I don't know anybody else who's got time or has a dark room. And so I was just kind of like, oh, I don't know how I'm gonna figure that out. But I met some skaters that were taking a, a beginning black and white course at the community college here in Long Beach, and they were like, "Yeah, you just go in and take that, and you got access to the dark room." And I was like, "Let's do it." And then that is cool. That's gone now, though, probably right. So I'm, I maxed it out. Oh, right. You can only sign up for a certain amount of labs, and so I maxed it out. They still have it. Oh yeah. Really? You can to this day. Yeah, most. I'm moving to Long Beach. Yeah, no, I mean, dude, most most, most colleges will have it happening.
0: I'm just kidding. You I, I think we have it on our, yeah. our way, but I just haven't heard about it. In long no, time. you're
1: right, though. I mean, that seems like an old. They're trying school. to phase that stuff out. Yeah, seems but, like but here's the cool thing: black and white is still the best way to teach beginning photography, and because of that happening with computers and getting it all set up to where every student could have their own computer with a digital camera and all that. It makes it to where they don't really have the budget. So it's still more cost effective to have this dark room that you've already wow, invested never, in.
0: Never would've yeah, I never would have thought of it that way. Yeah. So but now you you know, you have a Leica and you've actually done some things for Leica, right?
1: Yeah, they did, a, they did a piece that, you know, I don't know what they want to call it, like a, you know, a, a video portrait or whatever. Yeah. And it was called Let Us Roam. Yeah. And they did one with myself, Arto Sarri, Atiba Jefferson, and Greg Hunt. And, um, and yeah, that was cool, you know. I mean, I, you know, much like a skateboard, you know, you, you kind of figure out, you know, what excites you. Yeah. Right, like right, like you had, we all have skateboarders that were like, dude, that dude is helping me see the direction of what I want to do. Like mm-hmm. for me it was a lot, you know, Gons, Randy Smith, you know, um, get, so getting into photography, it was like when I started to look at the dudes that excited me, they were all shooting these. And going back to Humphreys and Tobin and Spike one thing I remember with those guys is that they would have their bigger Nikons and whatever to shoot skating but when they were shooting like the lifestyle stuff or the behind the scenes or whatever you want to call it they would have this and I could tell like they dug this guy better than the more than the big dude yeah the big dude was like yeah we need this to get this job happening Yeah. yeah but this was kind of like the Sunday driver yeah This is my, you know, Porsche or whatever, you know. And so so it's funny that the more that I got in and started to figure out what excited me in photography, a lot of it came from what I experienced and what I saw from, you know, my friends in skateboarding that are great photographers. But then the more I dug into guys outside of skateboarding and they use that same camera, I was like, Oh, that's the tool. Yeah, that's the tool for what I want to do. you know. And so what I'm so thankful for about, again, skateboarding is, because of the dy- how dynamic it is and, 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 and how it functions within our culture, that interest in it, or what I mean to say is, well, the interest that you have in it, in you know like my interest in photography and because of where skateboarding is then the brands start to pay attention and want to be a part of what you're doing because they see it as being an asset to what they want to be doing yeah
0: you're creating things you're creating tangible assets that your sponsors can use yeah, yeah. but
1: I'm saying but to get these brands like Leica that doesn't come from skateboarding, yeah, right. but to have that come back right. to you because of your enthusiasm for their product, but because of the culture that you're a part of, now they want to have a conversation with you. Yeah, right. And what's so cool about that is I've been able to do that with brands that I genuinely love. Yeah,
0: you know. No, I I can totally understand and appreciate yeah.
1: that so and so that's how that video came about yeah you know yeah. the lettuce roam and all that yeah, yeah that makes perfect
0: sense so going from you know turning pro for powell riding for the firm um, you had some injuries um throughout there right you have an
1: ankle injury that
0: was kind of plaguing you for a while yeah
1: i mean right when i got married in 2000 <clears throat> yeah inward heel flip on the um, flat ground and just landed primo and just Went to stomp it, and it just pushed my toe up into my shin, and just that, what it did in there, man. It took a while to kind of get that back in shape and, that and was strong like the first,
0: again. First major injury that kind of took you out for a bit. Well,
1: no, I mean I, dude, I'd rocked my back before oh, riding really? for Powell. Landed, thought I was gonna hang up on a backside so grab the fakie, pulled out my back foot, but. Jammed up my front foot because of the hold and because of the grab, and then landed on the my landed on the flat bottom, straight legged on one leg, and it just went to my pelvis. And dude, that was a tough one. That took a while. I would say that in my ankle were kind of like the long well <laughs> scaphoid. Yeah, scaphoids are nightmare. Dude, seven eight months. Yeah. Full arm cast,
0: and sometimes you can go like they don't really heal. Remember, Solomon had a cast. Well, so
1: this is what I learned. My dude was like, he was hip to it. Yeah,
0: above the elbow cast in the beginning.
1: Yeah, because he says it takes so long Mm -hmm. that these half arms, you doing that, it's never gonna catch. Yeah, it never catches the heel, and so it was longer on the front end, but I'm good on the back end. Yeah, I had the
0: same exact advice from my doctor. I broke my scaphoid and. It put me in an elbow cast, and I was so bummed on it. But it healed. Yeah, I didn't have the plaguing. Mm -hmm. Have to have surgery and all that. Yeah. Um, So throughout all of that, your skateboarding, you know, you've you've had all these evolutions where you've come back and you know um, created created video parts and done these things. What role does skateboarding play, kind of, in your life now, like? do you get to skate as much as you want? Or is it kind of like a medley of photography, skating, and music, and it's kind of like?
1: Yeah, I mean, you never, the older you get and the more responsibilities you have, you never get to skate as much as you want. That's just the reality of yeah. it, you know? And so for me it's tough because a lot of these other opportunities will arise that are good opportunities to um, to function in or to endeavor towards, you know? Um, but at the heart of it, just a skateboarder. And as much as, as long as my body can hang in there, like I wanna be doing it, hmm. you know? The challenge becomes in the the getting over the humps, getting the momentum is what I mean to say, you know? Cause that's the way anything functions. Like you don't use it, you lose it, right? Yeah. And so what I have a hard time with is can get a little momentum but then that will stop and then for me maybe a trip playing music or or you know or a trip functioning in some other way not skateboarding or something you're coming back trying to start that momentum again you know and so but when that momentum can get going to a certain place that's where it can be Super enjoyable again, and because you you feel strong and you feel confident, mm-hmm. you know, and so that's kind of my battle is like getting that momentum. Yeah, you, you know? need
0: enough time on your board to get the momentum. Moment.
1: That's why what, yeah. what I'm trying to say is like yeah. getting those windows where that's all you're doing. Yeah, you know, yeah, functioning maybe. in that, and it's tough. I mean,
0: that is basically why pro skateboarders. You know a lot of them retire it's that an injury yeah you know responsibility seep in, seeps mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. or you get injured and yeah. those are the two reasons and sometimes too, people they lose that fire because you know self-preservation kind of takes over and you don't really want to you know risk risk it you know in yeah order to get hurt in order to kind of set you back with yeah. the other things you enjoy but. yeah
1: yeah I mean, and I think I think the, the hardest thing to do but which is what is really important is to identify how, however you feel about it, understand that that's really influenced by where you are at the moment. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah no. Because it can yeah, be easy to n- not have that momentum and just feel like, yeah, I'm not into skateboarding anymore. Mm-hmm. you know, but I don't really think that's the case. Say that after you get momentum, mm-hmm. Then tell me you're over it, yeah, or whatever. Yeah. Or then it's easy to say you're not into it when you haven't done it in a long while because you've had to do something else. Yeah, yeah. And then when you go do it because the momentum's not happening you're functioning in a, in a way that you're just like, what the heck? Yeah, you know what I mean And that that's a that's a steep learning curve in and of itself. It is it totally is. and it, you know what I've you know being in a,
0: a long career, I mean not quite as long as yours, but being in skateboarding and being pro for 25 years, you know i i've battled that almost a thousand times it feels like you know mm-hmm. and it just takes a couple of days in a row or every other day at the skate park to kind of keep that like feeling of you know connectedness con- yeah. connectedness to your skateboard For and sure. to and to your body you know like staying in shape where you feel good doing mm-hmm. what you're doing you know and the tricks feel good and mm-hmm. I mean, there's nothing like for me, like when you start to get back into it, being able to like push yourself to the point where you're actually slamming and getting yeah. back up and you're like, yes, I yeah. missed this. Yeah. Um, yeah. I really love that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. There's like a certain, you know, when, right, when you're pro, like there's a certain level that you, that, that you function in. Right. And then when, when you're for a long time functioning way below that level, and when I say level, I'm not just talking about you know, ability, but I'm just talking about everything that comes with being in that zone. Yeah. Like the fight and and the exhilaration and the fear and and then and then the um and then the accomplishment or or the or the or the rejection, you know what I mean? Like functioning in all those emotions, that's that's what I mean. When you're used to functioning in that space, being able to to have those feelings and things, when that's taken out of the mix and you don't know, and and because of not being able to be on the board much, not being able to peek up into that zone again, yeah, that's I think that's where you're probably the most vulnerable and can struggle with like, dude can can I can I do this? Yeah. Should I be doing this? Um, I, I totally do I want to be doing it? Yeah. You know what I mean? And but but it's like doubt sets in. Pretty yeah. much, yeah. you know. But yeah. but when you but I think what I'm hearing, what you're saying is like, but when you push over that learning curve and you start to peak and start to push through back in that that tier yeah. or whatever, and you start to experience those emotions and things again, then you'll quickly find yourself being like this is the raddest thing totally i i am i give this analogy a lot
0: that skateboarding and the feeling of skateboarding is like a fire burning inside us and that fire it's possible just like at the end of the night the campfire gets dim you know if you don't skateboard much the campfire gets dim and you've got to stoke the fire yeah and the more often you skate the more you're stoking the fire yeah and if you skate every day and you get you get enough time under your belt on your board and it's feeling good again, you got a raging bonfire yeah, and you're yeah. just going full throttle, you know? Yeah. And I, I've had to carve out time. Like it's a meeting
1: mm-hmm.
0: in order to get myself to the skate park, you know? And mm-hmm. I, you see Thebo does that regularly. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. you see the, you know, Thebo mm-hmm. has the photos of his boards on mm-hmm. his Instagram yeah, for at sure. the skate park. Mm-hmm. And you're like, and, it, and the funny thing is, is he, he's posting that, Maybe he's just posting it because he's reflecting on the fact that he's thankful he went to the skate park. But Mm -hmm. what I see it as is I see it's a call to action. Mm -hmm. It's a call to action to everybody that loves skateboarding that didn't skateboard Mm -hmm. today. And Mm -hmm. it's like, Mm -hmm. hey, I have, you know, I have a family. I run all these brands. I'm a philanthropist. I'm making boards for everybody in need. Mm -hmm. And I still went to the skate park today. Mm -hmm. And I love that. I love it. It's It's like a calling card. It's like, yeah. You know what's your excuse and i love that about people but yeah at any rate i mean i think that that is the encouragement we all need we all need the encouragement to get on our boards and find the time because you know as skateboarders you know it it, it makes us you know when we're skateboarding and when we're feeling it it's like i feel like i'm the best version like i'm i'm like i'm optimistic i'm alive mm-hmm. like i'm thriving mm-hmm. and like all of a sudden everything else i'm doing clicks and makes sense sometimes mm-hmm. when i'm having a tough day at work and like we're all kind of in a funk, you know, or like I work with like five guys and we're kind of, you know, creative and Mm -hmm. we're just kind of feeling a little bit stagnant. We go out, skate flat ground or skate the flat bar for like a half an hour, an hour. We come back all juiced. Like we're so stoked to finish the day. And I feel like, I feel like we all need that. And yeah, as skateboarders, but yeah, um, this'll be my last question. Mm. What, what inspires you now? And what's next for you?
1: Mm. Yeah, I mean, What, in, what inspires me is lately it's been kind of a lot, a lot of what we've just been talking about. And just expi- I'm, I'm inspired to just really not lose that sense of wonder, you know? Like, you know, when I think about what leads me to doing what I do. It's always this kind of um, curiosity. You know what I mean? Just ex exploring curiosity pretty much, you know? And so cuz that's opened like pretty much every door that we've talked about for you. I just think it's such a huge part of what makes life fun.
0: Yeah, so enjoyable.
1: Yeah, you know what I mean? And but 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 I'm, I I really like what the aspects of it that are surprises, in that I don't foresee in it, and so and that that's where that sense of wonder kind of comes in. You know what I mean? Like, like I love not being able to see the story played out. Mm-hmm. You know?
0: Yeah, the spont spontaneity or 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 free will of the future. Like, yeah, like where it can go. Yeah, because yeah.
1: I think to me it's 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 more about like, you know, putting my faith in Jesus, knowing that like my times are in his hands. Like he's the one who's opened the doors for me to do what I do. There's this sense of like, there's a lot of liberty in that, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And so it becomes more about, you know, being the best husband I can be, being the best dad I can be. I mean, I'm inspired by my family. I'm inspired by my son's, their interest. And, mm-hmm. in, like, them going off and getting excited about what they're doing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, I totally know what and you And somehow mean. being a part of the launch pad for them and mm-hmm. what ways I can help, yeah. you know? And so so there's a lot of excitement of in what they're going to do. Yeah, you know? basically taking
0: your experience and using it to nurture their passions.
1: Yeah, totally. I mean, and, and experience and resources, mm-hmm. any of it, right? Yeah. And so, I mean, even my wife, I'm just excited of like what she's gonna be doing, Yeah, like what will grow into all of it, you know what I mean? That's cool. Like, that, that's exciting to me, that cool. inspires me, you know what I mean, yeah. to just keep, um, Keep pressing on toward the goal. (laughs) Really, no, I back it. Just being, I think the important thing is just to trying to stay excited. Mm -hmm. Like my fear is just be, like you know, it's funny because my kids would be like, "I'm bored," and I'm like, "Well, that's not my responsibility. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That's up to you." Like you know, and and it's that kind of thing. It's like I think in general, I'm just trying to make sure that I don't get bored. Yeah. Because there's no excuse to get bored. There's just too much fun stuff to do. Yeah. And so um, just discovering new things is fun. Like, there's so much of
0: that that can be done. But these days, kids rely on, obviously, on electronics and phones and stuff. And then once they kind of, like, run through everybody who's all the Snapchats and all the Instagrams, then they're kind of like, what do I, and what do, I do now, you know? Mm-hmm. Or their battery dies. Like, you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. Lord, Lord forbid our, our kids' battery dies and yeah. our kids are, like, don't even know. They're like, you know, so, yeah, so, yeah, rare. I
1: mean, it can be done, but very rarely does something super healthy and positive come from that time Yeah, spent really, on it, yeah. you know, I mean, you have to be very intentional and navigate and, 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 and chew the meat and spit out the bones. Yeah, that's very true. If you're, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so it's like that, that one's, that one's a tough one, you know, yeah. but, um, mm-hmm. but you know, one of my favorite verses in, in the Bible is, a, is avoid all extremes. You know, it's just at the end of the day, so much of it is just a balance. Yeah. Too much of anything's not good. Yeah. Right. And so um, I think where there's a healthy knowledge um, and, and, and there's a lot of um, intention towards trying to keep that balance, then that's like a good place to be functioning yeah. in. Right.
0: Cool. Well, um, lastly, what's next? Do you have any shows coming up or do you have any travel plans with music or skating?
1: Um, so I just finished a new album oh, that's and so cool. and then Indy Indy's doing a signature truck that's and cool. so that'll come out in May. Nice. And then so this album will come out with the truck. Oh, cool. Yeah. So it's a collaboration with Thomas Campbell. Thomas did all the art. Awesome. Not only for the album, but for the truck. Um, in the collection that will come out with the trucks. Oh, yeah. And then um, and then the album will be released on his label called, um, yeah, Arts. And so, yeah, pretty excited. I'm excited for people to hear it. Um, is it a solo album? Yeah, it's a solo album, but I have my friends playing on it. So mm-hmm. my one friend, uh, Johnny Herndon from this band, Tortoise, um, is playing drums. And then uh, my friend Josh Lippy is playing some bass on it. Cool. Um, but, instrumental? Yeah, it's instrumental, yeah. and it's very little guitar. Really, it's all it's all analog synths oh, so that's, and drums. Is this your first
0: big composition or like compilation of music with that release? It's the only
1: thing with synth. It's like first synth album. Wow! <laughs> but I was just like, that's cool. I'm excited about this. It's no different than photography or first grabbing the guitar. It was just like, you know, I I told myself like, man, it'd be so fun to learn analog synthesis. Like I'm so intrigued with it, and so. Um, and so just kinda hopped in the deep end and was just like, All right, let's go for it and awesome. I'm so thankful that Thomas was down to support the journey and be a part of it. He produced the album and so That's super cool. Um, I love Thomas. Yeah, yeah. And so, um, that's gonna come out in May and there's talks of touring it, but um, and
0: this is gonna come out in May too. So we're ready. Right all on right, track. dude. You're you're better we'll landing than you thought. <laughs> 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 all right. Well thank you so much, Ray. I really appreciate it, man. Oh it man. It's a pleasure sitting yeah. talking to you. you know, hopefully, Thanks for everything you've done too and skateboarding. Oh and man. Hopefully you can
1: it. edit this up and uh and and you and uh,
0: No, you went and, you went super deep on on some things and I think it's really cool to hear because you know you normally just People skim the surface, yeah. you know, on a lot of topics, and yeah, yeah. I feel like you really gave a lot of texture and background to what makes you who you are, and I'm I'm stoked. I'm very oh personal. right on, yeah. Thank you.